I'm Alex Wong, and the Wong Takes start now. Hello. It's Tuesday, April 17th, 2018. You know what time it is. Time for the Wong Takes. Good docket as per usual today. The most entertaining league in the world is providing us with some of it, a lot of it. And that would have to be the National Basketball Association. Uh, the stuff we're going to get to today, preview ahead, uh, some Premier League talk because the season is decided, along with some talk about Major League Baseball. But first, let's dive right into the playoffs. A uh, lot of good stuff going on. Plenty of interesting series that look like they're going to be unfolding nicely in the next week, and we'll have plenty to talk about next week. The NBA playoffs goes on for, what, uh, eight weeks, so we've got a lot of time to talk. But let's first, because I know we've got a lot of Bay Area viewers, let's first jump into this Golden State-San Antonio series. In particular, uh, one storyline that has emerged out of the normal storylines you'd expect and that would be a surprising one, and that's Kawhi Leonard's absence. Uh, Kawhi has not played for the Spurs much this year. He, I believe, played for a stretch sometime in the middle of the season. But what has been interesting is not only the fact that he hasn't been able to play, but the silence around what is going on with his injury and the sort of dysfunction that it seems to have created within the Spurs organization, which we're not used to seeing. And I'm going to go get, get into that a little bit, uh, in a little bit. But one of the first things I want to talk about is Kawhi on the court makes a humongous impact for the Spurs, not only on the defensive end, where he's been renowned for years as one of the best stoppers in the entire game, but also on the offensive end. I think we've seen in the first couple of games the Spurs don't have, they, they can't rely on uh, the team to run a consistent offensive game without Kawhi. Like, in order for them to really make a dent in the Warriors' armor, they have to have one guy get really hot, whether that be a LaMarcus Aldridge type big or a Danny Green type wing who's not nearly as effective as he used to be, but still an effective three point shooter. And. Without Kawhi, they can't get any of no flow. And in order to beat the Warriors, you have to play a good at least 36-minute game, if not a 48-minute game. And the Spurs can't put one together without Kawhi. Um, Now back to the injury. Uh, He's been cleared medically by the Spurs, which I think is interesting. But it's just his quote-unquote group, which has been mentioned a bunch of times, that is restricting him from playing in the rest of the playoffs. Uh, And he's not with the team. I think another a part of this that's getting overlooked is that Kawhi isn't with the team. I think having a guy like him, a quiet, solemn leader who can lead everyone through the uh, turmoil of a playoff series in which even though they have not uh, lost any more home court than they already don't have, but they've, they have not been playing too well, and in order to have him there would be a very huge help for the Spurs. But he's not. And the, the the Spurs need to figure this out. I mean, if Kawhi is allowed to have his autonomy 
to the point where no one, not even the coach, not even the organization or the fellow players know what's going on, that's going to be a problem, not only this season, but in the future. And there really is some tension there that's already starting to build. Like, uh, Greg Popovich seems to be taking minor shots, even though it's hard to tell. Um, and it's, 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 it's not, it's been building, and I think it's going to continue to build as long as Kawhi is out. Um, I think Golden State is going to do fine with San Antonio, even in San Antonio. I do not see them losing on their home court. They outscored the Spurs by, I believe, 22 points in the second half in Game 2, despite getting off to a rough start. Um, and I see no reason why that doesn't continue uh, ahead. Uh, another team out of the West that looks good is Houston, who, even though they struggled in the first game, they are taking on one of the tougher eight seeds, uh, now that Jimmy Butler's back, in Minnesota. And I think they will drop a game, probably in Minnesota. Um, but Houston... This is a good test for them early on, and I think it's going to benefit them. I think they should be able to steamroll through either Oklahoma City or Utah. Uh, I don't think any of those squads have the firepower to match up with Houston. Uh, Same thing for Golden State and their side of the bracket. Though, like I said a few weeks ago, Portland is one of the teams that I could see upsetting Golden State, or I mean winning against Golden State, uh, two, possibly three times. And I would not be surprised if they struggle getting past Portland. Um, but I don't see too many upsets happening. Now, what I think is a, the more interesting side of the bracket is the East. There's really, there remains no real clear favorite coming out of this side of the bracket. Uh, Toronto played well against Washington game one, but they didn't put on a, a dominant showing that we would have wanted to see. Uh, from this squad to to suggest that they could hold up their end of the bargain in in the rest of the Eastern Conference, which is turning out to be possibly a little bit of a gauntlet. As I, as I speak, they're actually beating Washington by quite a bit, um, but that could change and we don't know. Uh, Boston and Milwaukee, meanwhile, had one of the most interesting finishes I think we're going to see in this entire playoff, where you have a guy, Malcolm Brogdon, hit a game tying three for the Celtic or for the Bucks. Come back on the other end, have Terry Rozier break Bledsoe's ankles and end his career, so to speak. Hit a clutch three that appeared to be the dagger with half a second left. Chris Middleton heaves one up at the buzzer uh, from like 40 feet. It goes in. The playoffs are here, and I think that game kind of exemplified that. I think that's also exemplifies how this series is going to end up happening, where you're going to have Giannis leading the Bucks, and the question is going to be, can the Celtics stop him? And they showed in Game 1 that they can do an okay job of stopping him, and they have enough pieces on offense that they can still put together points without guys like Kyrie and, of course, Gordon Hayward. So that's going to be an interesting series. Another one is Philadelphia and Miami, the 76ers who snuck into the three seed after being in the cellar for so long. It's a phenomenal story. I think they're actually still not getting as run as the, as much run as they should uh, in the media. But their home crowd was electric both nights, even though they lost to Miami in one of those games as they head to uh, South Beach, tied at one. Ben's, I think this will be a great exposure to the rest of the country of how good this Sixers team is. Uh... In particular, I was surprised by how good Ben Simmons is. 
I mean, you hear all the stuff like when he went to LSU about how much of a talented player he is and how he was the lock for number one pick, even though he didn't get his team to the NCAA tournament. And then he sat out the first year and doubters started to creep in. But when you watch this guy play, man, it's it's something else. Uh, just the handle he has for a big man and the just the passing ability and the, vis- the court vision that allows him to get, rack up so many assists. It's almost something that masks the fact that he can't shoot because he never does shoot. Um, but the question this series is going to be, and throughout the playoffs, assuming they get past Miami, is going to be can he make a shot? Because until... Uh, there, well, Joel Embiid is it should be coming back soon, but that doesn't really help. That their main shooters are like JJ Redick and a little bit of a supporting cast, um, and you're going to need to be able to hit the three ball. Although that team is pretty deep. I mean, guys like Dario Saric who's developed really well, Ilyasova who's become a good bench player or end of the five bench player, uh, and then same thing with Redick, of course, as a starter. It is a good team, and they're going to be a force to be reckoned with, particularly if they end up facing Boston. Uh, the Cavaliers are struggling. They lost to Indiana in the first game. They came, they trailed big early. At one point, got it to like within six, but Indiana ended up winning it with not too much of a sweat. And the fact that LeBron, oh yeah, and LeBron snaps his twenty-one game first round winning streak, winning streak, which is. Uh, something that we look back in retrospect, we're going to be like, wow, he did that. That's like five playoff series in the first round that he just swept. That's ridiculous. But the fact that Indiana broke that is, and, and not just that, but in the queue in Cleveland, is a testament to two things. One, Indiana has been overlooked by a lot of people. Once I think last year when they got rid of Paul George, everyone just discarded them. Uh, like the the Oklahoma City got... Paul George in a steal, and Indiana isn't going to be able to compete without him. But Victor Oladipo has really taken a leader role for this Pacers squad. I think he put up 32 in the first game uh, against Cleveland, who does not have the stingiest of defenses, but still they're an NBA team, and 32 points is a lot of points. So Indiana kind of, I think Indiana also benefits kind of because they know who they are. Uh, they've had time to develop themselves, whereas Cleveland. Uh, just a few short months ago, revamped their entire roster right before the trade deadline. And that's not something to be overlooked. I mean, chemistry is a thing. And they didn't really look like too cohesive in that first game. And they're going to have the next game for them, which I believe is tomorrow, is crucial. If they go down 2 nothing, they can still win the series, but it's going to be a lot tougher, especially if this Pacers team starts to build confidence. Oh yeah, one other thing I forgot about the Sixers. Uh, shout out to their 17-game winning streak that was snapped uh, a few days ago. Um, that's remarkable. And 17-game winning streak, particularly to end the season, is a very good omen heading into the playoffs. Uh, finally, just wrapping up the East, I think, I honestly, I don't, I, I think Toronto is going to end up getting out of this side of the bracket just because it's pretty weak as far as top heavy, it's not as top heavy as it used to be. I think this is the year Cleveland goes down. Uh, I don't see them pulling it up together to be able to beat some of these top teams, even teams like the Sixers who look uh, like a much better unit than the Cavs right now. Uh, The NBA playoffs will continue throughout April and May and into June. Plenty of storylines coming up out of out of out of this league 
and I'm very excited to continue to watch the playoffs. If you want your docket for the next few days, you got Bucks and Celtics tonight, starting uh, right about now as like I'm recording, but it's probably already started, and you should go watch it. Uh, and then Pelicans Trailblazers tonight at 7:30 Pacific. Pacers Cavs tomorrow at four Pacific. Uh, Jazz Thunder tomorrow at five. Timberwolves Rockets six thirty, and the, that's for the next couple of days. And those will wrap up all the game twos in the league. Um, and then these series will be switching to the road side having home court. Um, those are going to be also fun matchups. I think Indiana also is going to be rocking. That that town is ready for some more playoff basketball. All right. Some good uh, talking there. And now, something that I'm not particularly an expert in, but, and I'm not a world football expert by any stretch of the imagination, but I think if you have not been following the Premier League in England this year, you've been missing a phenomenal story. A story of domination that may not be getting as many headlines as a last-second finish, but it's worth talking about. As such, I have dedicated some time to it. Um, Manchester City won the Premier League, clinched a Premier League victory on Saturday. And this happened as Manchester United, who currently sits in second, uh, lost to 20th place, which is last placed, West Brom. West Bromwich Albion. And I, also, side note, if you're interested, uh, Albion is an old term meaning England. Uh, not a story. But uh, now that means with that loss, Manchester City gets the title. They are 16 points clear of Manchester United with five matches to go, hence they have clinched. Uh that has got to be a disappointment for Manchester United supporters. Uh, I, think, I believe Manchester City had a chance to clinch the title last week against Manchester United uh, and actually lost to them in a comeback loss at City. Uh, so that's a pretty interesting story. Just another side, another, another side story in this grand one. Uh, now back on to Manchester City. There's so much to say about them, but they were a dominant team all year long. Uh, these are some records they broke, or not records they broke, but records they came close to or set. Uh, this was a big story early on. They were undefeated for their first 22 matches, and there are 38 matches in a pre- in a Premier League season. So, sorry for that pause. Uh, that means they went undefeated, either drawing or winning every game, for over half the year. And that also included 18 straight wins, which is a Premier League record. Also, this means that they didn't lose until the turn of the calendar year, and considering the season starts in August uh, and ends in, May, in April or May, uh, that's pretty remarkable and is something we might not see again for a long time. They also, after uh, as the season progresses, they're going to have a good chance to set the league record for points. Uh, they only need nine points, which is equivalent to three wins or two wins and three ties in the next five matches to pass Chelsea of 0405. And there's a similar thing can be said about their goal differential, which of course is goals scored minus goals uh, allowed. And their goal differential is plus 68, so they've scored 68 more goals than they've allowed. And just to put some perspective on that, second place Man United is 30 plus 37. So it's not even close. They're almost doubling up on goal differential. Um, and that's really hard to do. 
The Premier League record set by 0405 Chelsea is plus 71, so as long as Manchester United keeps winning and drawing, uh, they have a pretty good chance to set that record as well. Also, one more record, if they score 11 goals in the next five matches, which is definitely doable, they will set the league record uh, for goals. I believe that's also 0405 Chelsea. Um, Just a a number of records that should be long-standing and... I don't know what the trend of the league is, but this is something not to be missed. Even though they don't really have anything to play for regarding position, uh, Manchester City has something to play for regarding these records, and I think that will be a fun story to watch. Uh, Another thing to recognize the dominance of what Manchester City did is that this this clinch uh, was tied for the earliest title clinch in the entire history of top flight or of English football in the top uh, top flight, which is over a hundred years, I think over 125 years of soccer, and they have clinched it earlier than everyone else except for three other teams. Uh, and so they just crush the rest of the field and it's something we're not going to see too much. So just reiterating how special this is. <clears throat> uh, sorry for that. Um, Meanwhile, in the broader scheme of things, uh, Manchester City is enjoying a phenomenal run of success in the Premier League and elsewhere. In the last eight years, uh, in the last eight seasons, they've won seven major trophies, and that would be three Premier League titles, which was uh, 2011-2012, 2013-2014, and this year 2017-2018, uh, one FA Cup, which is a cup for all of England, which was in 2010-11, and then three Football League Cups, which are given out, uh, which are as a cup competition uh, in which the top two English leagues compete, and they won titles in 2013-14, 2015-16, and 2017-18. So that's seven trophies in just eight years. And they actually only won, uh, I think, eight trophies in their history before that, eight of those same trophies in their entire history before this last 10-year stretch. And that's a history of over 100 years. Uh, I'm not sure when Manchester City was founded. I think it was like 1894. Um, but in that time, in the, think about that. In the last few years, they've won more trophies than they had in their entire history. And I think part, and definitely part of the reason for this is that, if you don't know, in 2008, they, a new ownership group bought or took over operations of Manchester City. And this group was led by Sheikh Mansour, who is the deputy prime minister of the United Arab Emirates, a Middle Eastern country, and one of the richest men in the world. And for American sports fans, this may seem kind of foreign, but the Premier League doesn't have similar caps on how much spending you can, how much how much you can pay players and things like that. Uh, there are financial fair play, play rules, but they aren't as tight as things like the salary cap in. National, in the hard cap in the National Football League, or even the soft cap in the NBA, there's nothing resembling that uh, in the Premier League. So this way he was able to make Manchester City one of the richest clubs uh, in the world and allowed them to spend and top the spending charts of the Premier League and spend in ways that they had never been able to before and get acquire these super expensive, high-quality players Um and this is kind of the catalyst of their recent run. This is this money spending is why, uh, which is what has enabled this club to 
enjoy this great run of success. That's a little background on what happened in the Premier League this season. Another great year. Sad to see it go. Uh, and that's that. So we got one more major topic for today, and that's going to be what happened last week in baseball, the fights. There were some really good fights in baseball last Wednesday. In one day, there were two legitimate, like, punches thrown, fists flying, feelings everywhere baseball fights. One was in a NL West matchup, the Padres and the Rockies. Uh, Padres pitcher Luis Perdomo hit Rockies third baseman Owen Arenado in the back. Uh, I believe it was, I forgot why, but Arenado charged the mound. And then Arenado threw a few punches. Some of them actually came pretty close, but Perdomo ducked out of the way. I'm doing ducking motions in my seat right now. Uh, And then other little mini brawls started in the kind of humongous melee after, like guys like Gerardo Parr getting into it. Uh, It was pretty, pretty funny to watch. A uh, similar thing happened in the AL East with the Red Sox and the Yankees. There was a questionable slide to break up a double play, which Major League Baseball has repeatedly tried to outlaw and been pretty successful in doing it, actually. Um, but that was by New York Yankee Tyler Austin, and then they had a little bit of a relaxed fight in the third inning, your typical baseball fight. But then later, Joe Kelly, Red Sox pitcher, hit uh, Austin in the back, and now Tyler Austin charges the mound. And there's another actual fight with fists flying it everywhere. I think this is particularly interesting that they both happened on the same day. Technically, there were three fights on that day, uh, but two are like actual, like real fights. Uh, these are the first actual fights we've seen in a while. I mean, because normally it's things like uh, guys just charging the mound, or not charging the mound, but they walk up to the mound and the bench is clear, and then everyone just kind of stands there and jaws at each other, and everyone tries to calm each other down, but you don't actually need to calm each other down because you're just yelling at each other. Uh, and it's kind of interesting. But um, if you want to see an old-school fight that this kind of reminded me of, uh, Google uh, Nolan Ryan Robin Ventura. I'll, I'll spoil it a little bit. I mean, Ventura gets hit, charges the mound, Ryan puts him in a headlock, punches him a bunch of times. Really interesting fight. Uh, if you want to look at the mechanics of it all. But let's talk about fighting a little bit. I mean, why why do these fights start? It's because people are trying to retaliate for bad things that happen. That's why people get plunked in the back or the legs. Um, and, and just to step back a little bit, baseball re- retaliation is kind of weird. I mean, like, where else in life, in society, in anywhere, can you throw a 90-plus mile-an-hour projectile at someone and not get punished? Um, and this... You may throw it just because you've been slighted by what seems like the smallest thing, like just because a guy slid into you wrong, and you decide to hit a guy with a with a missile. Um, but nonetheless, even though it seems kind of uh, wrong, just straight up wrong, uh, I actually don't really mind baseball fights. I mean, normally they act as an alternative to like actual fist fights where people get hurt. In this case, it didn't. People like could have gotten hurt. But normally they, they kind of act like that, and they kind of bring closure to any arguments. Like, normally after a fight, people don't start hitting each other again and again and again. Um, and also, it's already part of the system. Like, fights are part of the quote-unquote unwritten rules of baseball, which are kind of another story, but I'm going to get to it later. Uh, and as a result of this, teams don't want to look like the weak team. Like, hey, we can like do anything you want with you, and you're not going to retaliate. So reta- retaliation kind of has to happen at this point in baseball. 
But I think retaliation should be changed a little bit. Like right now, normally when a pitcher retaliates, he hits a player in the back. No harm, no foul, whatever. But what if a ball gets away from you? Because pitchers always say uh, when, when a ball gets thrown behind someone or hits someone in the back, oh, it got away from me. Well, what if it actually got away from them? Because, of course, we don't believe them. What if it actually gets away from them and sails a little bit high and heads straight for someone's head? That's when people die. That's when people actually get hurt. Like Giancarlo Stanton, who last year, even though it wasn't on purpose, uh, got hit in the head, and he had to wear like a gigantic face mask with letter G on it the whole year. Um, and I think you got to throw lower. I think you cannot aim for the back. Because on- honestly, even if you hit his leg or their legs or you just throw really far inside and make them have to back out of the way, even if you don't hit someone, it still sends a message like, okay, I get it, I get it, you're like, you're mad at me, okay, fine, just throw me pitch. Plus, it doesn't hurt anyone, there's no risk of hurting anyone. At what, at the, wor- the worst thing that can happen is you hit them in the back, I don't think pitcher's command is that bad. Um, plus, you don't, you don't have to put a guy on base, because don't forget, when you hit the guy, you are putting him on base. Now, normally, pitchers will do this, ideally, in a blowout with two outs and no one on. Um, but sometimes you don't always get those ideal conditions, and you don't want to hit someone. Um, but you still want to show, send a message, and you can do that just by throwing inside. Um, but I think because of the nature of baseball, I think their unwritten rules of baseball and retaliation is going to start to fade over time. One uh, like this does provide some great entertainment, and baseball is generally a conservative game. Like it doesn't like change. Like I particularly am kind of opposed to baseball change. Like the rule where it's like in extra extra innings will like put runners on to start. The, I don't like that rule. Kind of ruins the game, flow of the game. Um, but I think a younger audience, if they want to get a younger audience in baseball, uh, I don't know if these fights are going to help the, or these unwritten rules are going to help the game be, be more accessible to them because it it almost feels like when you, when you learn baseball's unwritten rules, you're kind of like part of a club, uh, or whatever. But if you're, if you're trying to get newbies into the game and they're like, why is he hitting him? I don't like the violence or whatever. Uh, I I think it's going to be something that is going to start to fade away as this younger generation, uh, comes in. All right, good good talk. Uh, I've got a few shout-outs right now. Uh, first off is Andre Ingram, who is a Los Angeles Laker who made his debut in the NBA after 10 years in the D-League as a journeyman D-Leaguer. Never went abroad, never went anything, and he scored 19 points in his debut, making a bunch of threes. Uh, and he got a humongous ovation from the Lakers crowd, from his fellow teammates. Uh, just a remarkable story. Uh, and also, he's a math. He's also a math tutor. So shout out to him for doing math and sports. I love it. Um, also, shout out to Russell Westbrook, who averaged a triple double uh, for the second year in a row. That's very, very uh, something that we overlook. Like he's not getting any MVP consideration this year, even though he averaged a triple double. Like he averaged ten points, ten rebounds, and ten assists per game. Like, what? No one in the history of the league has ever done that. And I I, I don't really know what to say. I mean, it, it's it's something that, it's a once-in-a-lifetime thing, uh, what he can do, especially even with Carmelo Anthony Paul George. And he, it didn't look like he was exerting too much effort this year. There's nothing to say he can't do this every year going forward. Uh, Russell Westbrook is a spectacular guy, and, and we should we should recognize that. Quick take, really quick. Uh... 
NBA owner reportedly berated tanking team's coach for winning on road. So this is when you start to get a problem. Uh, like, tanking is, is, is not good. And the NBA has, I applaud the NBA for trying to do things to get rid of tanking, like having the draft lottery where just because you have the worst record doesn't mean you're going to have the first pick. Um, but, I mean, some teams are going to tank when they're going to tank. Uh, tanking has bad results not only for a team that's trying to uh, succeed in general, but also a team that's trying to make money. I mean, not having fans show up to your uh, arena because they're ballpark like the Marlins or whatever because they know you're going to lose or at least you're trying to lose, uh, you're not going to get people to show up. And that's why that's why I one of the reasons I'm personally opposed to tanking. I get why people do it. But you're going to have to continue to to make it so that teams don't want to tank. Uh, Adam Silver is a pretty progressive commissioner. I don't know if we're going to have lottery reform. Like, uh, maybe have everyone have the same amount of ping pong balls, which seems absurd. Uh, but you could do that, but sort of to a lesser extent. Like, the bottom seven teams get this many, and top uh, bottom seven to eight to fourteen get this many. Um, but it's, it's something that they're they're going to need to consider because if you have people yelling at people for tanking or for not tanking, that's obviously bad. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. You can do all the things. Don't forget, uh, leave voicemails, record a voice memo, email it to me. You know how to do it. Uh, check out the podcast everywhere else. Bit.ly slash the long takes, patreon.com slash the long takes, the long takes at gmail.com. Full archives of the show on the website, weekly blog. You know what the deal is. Uh, rate the podcast, subscribe on iTunes. That's how you can get new episodes downloaded to your phone when they come out, like uh, they will in about an hour, uh, from my perspective. And uh, Google Play. I haven't heard any complaints about Google Play so far, but just let me know if any come up. Uh, Thank you so much for listening as usual, and I will see you next week.